Amen. Thank you, Ms. Carol. Ms. Heidi. I'd like to invite you to grab your Bibles. Turn with me to Luke chapter number 12. Luke chapter number 12. I appreciate the music this morning. It's a minister to my soul. Grateful for it. I think I could sing uh, How Great Thou Art every Sunday morning and not grow old. I love that song. You guys did a great job on the refrain. I heard some of you sopranos and junior high boys at the same time hitting that high note. Good job. I appreciate that. And uh, that was beautiful. Uh, Poor junior high boys. Anyway, nonetheless, you did a great job singing. I mean that. I could listen to you guys sing that song every Sunday morning. Appreciate it. Luke chapter number 12. In Luke chapter number 12, we're going to introduce to a man, and uh, quite amazing, uh, he, he, if you were to ask any of his neighbors here in this passage, they would quickly tell you that he was a great success. He, he was amazingly rich. Uh, in the passage, the scriptures don't give him a name, so I want to call him Daniel if that's okay. And so we're, we're just going to call this man we'll look at here in a moment. We'll just give him the name Daniel. He was popular. He was well-known around town as much as anybody. His house wasn't the biggest, just the biggest on the street. It was the biggest in town, probably likely the biggest in the region around. As families walked by on the street in front of it, the children would just point and be amazed. They'd stand in awe of this wonderful, amazing structure, uh, the architecture. They were dumbfounded by the, the enormity of the home. As fathers with their sons would pass by Daniel on the street, they, they would quietly whisper to their children and, and describe him to them, pointing him out, describe him as being very successful, very blessed. Uh, they reverently referred to Daniel as a shrewd and prosperous businessman who, who seemed to have the Midas touch, or at least he had the, the greatest green thumb in, in the entire area. His livery was full of dozens of the best horses, He had countless servants, and everyone knew it was Daniel driving down the dirt road to the town when they saw the gold chariot. Maybe it was the first electric in the town, too. Who knows? But anyway. But no, they they knew who Daniel was. He was well-known. He was a man who had it all. In fact, we could probably assume that he was the envy of the entire neighborhood. He was living a life that only that others could only dream of. He seemed to have great moments of leisure too, had parties. He he enjoyed the good life. And if there was TV back in his day, uh, he may have appeared on that famous show from decades gone by, The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. In the estimation of his fellow humans, of the people all around him, Daniel was a great success. But I'd encourage you to listen to the Word of God this morning. You see, my friend, there are many Daniels in the world. Those whom mankind thinks are great successes, they are popular, they're famous, they're often rich beyond imagination. They, they will appear on the covers of magazines. Their stories will be trumpeted as great success stories. They'll be exalted and glorified just as the Daniel in our story likely was. Could I just put it plainly and simply? The culture that you and I live in today loves its Daniels. You see, it loves to celebrate the rich and famous. Those who've been successful from an earthly perspective, they are lauded, they are praised, they are worshipped even by some, they are altogether exalted. They are called gurus, they are called geniuses, intellectually advanced. Uh, They're acclaimed for their business um, acumen. Uh, They are called power brokers. They're called the cream of the crop of humanity. Uh, They are pointed to as the greatest success stories of mankind of our era, just like Daniel would have been here in our story. 
But there's another description of this man that we have called Daniel that we want to consider this morning. And it stands in stark contrast to the opinion of the masses, of his neighbors, of the people all around, the townspeople. You see, they, they declared this rich man, Daniel, to be a great success, but God declared him to be something else. And in this passage, we learn that God declared him to be a fool. In fact, he addresses him as such. Now, this is amazing. Because you ask the common person, the person who knew him, and that, no, 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 Daniel, fool? No way. He's got a business acumen like nobody knows. He, he is rich beyond compare. He's the richest man in town. How in the world could you call him a fool? And in fact, the, the word literally means senseless. He doesn't have the necessary common sense, certainly scripturally. He lives a confused life title of the message you probably already saw it was living a confused life i've said it before and i i think i picked it up from my father or something but uh, can i tell you this rich man was as confused as a termite in a wooden yo-yo think about that for a moment confused i would put it another way too scripturally this is literally what we find to be true of this man, that the world is says a great success. He, is, he, he ought to be applauded. He ought to be celebrated. No, no. God says he is a fool. In fact, the description in the passage would be that he has foolishly, he is foolishly disoriented in his life. You ever be disoriented? You ever need a compass? <laughs> okay, GPS, your phone. You ever be lost and say, man, how are we going to do it? Hey, one of the joys of living in the thumb of Michigan, right? You may have GPS. You may be able to have everything you need to find your way out on your phone, but your phone don't work half the time. You ain't find your way out of anything, you know? And uh, the most dreaded sign on that phone when you're trying to read your GPS is the loading sign, right? That little circle going round and round. That's disorientation, right? You're kind of lost. You're kind of disoriented. And uh, uh, you, you don't know which way to go and so forth. Do you realize that though the world said this man was a great success, he was uh, looked upon with, with great admiration, the Bible says he is a disoriented, confused mess. God calls him a fool. Now that begs the question, Why? Look in verse 16, if you will, with me in Luke chapter 12, verse number 16. And he, that's Jesus Christ, he spake a parable unto them, saying, okay, the ground of a certain rich man, that's the guy we've called Daniel, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Now, I like this statement, if you will, in this verse 16. He's, he's a great success. In fact, we can, he's plentifully bringing it forth. He is prosperous, so much so he has a problem. The very next verse tells us something that uh, he has round, ran out of places to store it. He has so much. We'll read verse 17 in a moment. But he says what? I have no room to store my fruits. <laughs> now, you know what this makes me think of? Forgive me here. But as soon as I read that, all I can think of is over the last four to five decades in America, there has been an explosion of self-storage facilities. Hasn't there? I mean, it's amazing everywhere. I mean, we even got them around here, people storing things, buying, paying money to rent something, to store something that they'll never use. Or I think it's funny that they make TV shows uh, about people who go and auction or to auctions to buy storage things that people no longer have. And it's crazy. Do you realize that one in 10 households in America rent a storage facility? Isn't that amazing? Now, listen, if you rent a storage facility, don't throw a hymn book. That's not my point. My point is this. 
Do you realize where this man was? He had so much stuff that he didn't have room for. Now, can I just tell you, he had, he had an abundance of things. Now, I'm just telling you, and I, I'm pointing that out in this sense. Can I tell you, in America, we have abundance of things. If we have ran out of places to store things, and so we rent somewhere to store the things that we have an abundance of, we are in the same position as this man. We can succumb to the same problems, the confusion that this man has. And so you and I have to be on our guard. In fact, in verse number, um, uh, we'll see it here in just a moment, verse number 15, there's a double uh, uh, um, alarm sounded by Jesus Christ. He says, beware, beware, take heed. And that's really what this is for. So before you and I said, well, this rich man, we're not like him. No, no, no. He had an abundance of things. You and I have an abundance of things as America, as Americans. We are more well off than the majority of the world. And so, friend, could I encourage you as we consider this story, and the reality is you and I are very much in the same position, the same boat. Look at verse number 17. We alluded to it a moment ago. Let's read it now. Verse 17. <laughs> and he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. You know what else the the verse reminds us of? And I think this is so crucial. The verse reminds us of this. You know what life is made of? Lots of questions that have to be answered. What do I do about this? How do I handle this? What am I going to do about this situation, this problem, this this situation that popped up in my life? How am I going to handle this? What should be my action and response? How am I going to handle this? You know, here he is. He's confronted. Now, we would say, is this a bad problem or a good problem? This is a good problem to have. He doesn't, his, his fields are doing well. He's reaping, harvesting plentifully. He doesn't have enough room. So he asks, and here's the problem. He has this question in life, and that really is what life is full of questions, decisions to be made. In his first foolish act of confusion, you know what it was? <laughs> he asked the question to the wrong person. He asked himself. You see that? He thought within himself. He said, hey, okay, self, what am I going to do? This is my problem. This is my issue. This is what I have going on. Uh, and he asked himself. It's a terrible trend of humanity to be wise in our own conceits. You know, the Bible instructs you and I, you know it well, lean not unto thine own understanding. The questions of life ought not to be simply asked to ourselves. I, I like what you know, Proverbs 26 and verse 12 says. See, seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There's more hope of a fool than of him. You know what man is? And here's the point. And here's what we learn from this passage and others. The fact is, he asks the question himself. You know what man is the author of? And if you look to man for the answers of life, for the answers to decisions that need to be made, you know what man is the author of? Man is the author of confusion. You say, how do you know that? Well, I think the Scriptures are perfectly clear about that, but I don't even have to look to the Scriptures. Can I just tell you, would you just watch the news for five minutes, and I think you'll learn that man is the author of confusion. You look around the world, you look at our own state, you look at different places, and I'll tell you, boy, there is confusion upon confusion upon confusion going on. And why? This is why, because man is the author of confusion. You listen to man, you allow man, you allow yourself to answer the questions of life, that's what's going to uh, become glaringly obvious. If I were to put it another way, I'd say this, man's ways are the paths of confusion. These are biblical principles. Man's way are the, the paths of confusion. They lead to destruction, and they always bring sorrow and heartache. It's biblical truths. 
this is the end of man's way, the end of man's path. If you listen to man and his, his counsel, this is where you'll find yourself. So what do we need to do with the questions of life? What should we have read here in uh, verse number 17? And eh, instead of asking himself the question and answering it, well, what should we have read? Well, the reality is uh, he should have turned to the author of peace, not confusion. Scripture is pretty clear, isn't it? We know it well. I, I like 1 Corinthians 14, 33. Notice it. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. I love that <laughs> Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. He says, listen, there ought to be peace in that church because God is not the author of confusion. God is the author of peace. And my friend, can I tell you, when you turn to God, and do not miss the principle this morning, when you take the decisions of life, when you take the questions of life, and instead of answering yourself, if you'll bow the knee in prayer, if you'll cry out to God for wisdom, the reality is this, my friend, you have just asked the author of but boy, you go your own way, you ask yourself the only your questions, you answer them yourself, and you follow that. Woo! You know what you'll bring? Confusion. And there has been many a life lived asking questions of life to oneself, the world, mankind. And there's been a life full of confusion. The Bible's clear. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally. We know it. Uh, that passage we quoted before. Lean not on thy own understanding. All thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall what? Direct thy paths. The paths of peace. You see, why was the rich man a, a fool? To put it simply this, and get a hold of it this morning, the rich man was a fool because he confused himself with the author of peace, with God. So he takes the simple question of life. Okay, what am I going to do? This is happening in my life. And, and uh, man, the, the, the fields are producing plentifully. I need something to do. I, I, need a, I need to come up with a plan to how to handle this in life. And so he asked himself instead of asking God. And my goodness, you, you realize what he missed out on? See, the Scripture tells us three things about God. Number one, he is the author of peace, the verse we just talked about. The psalmist declared that God's way is what? Perfect. So he's the author of the perfect way. He's the author of peace. And number three, can I tell you right now, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, he is the author of the prosperous outcome. All things work together for good. To them that love God and who are called according to his purpose. God is the author of these three things. Now, here's the problem. When man then takes the questions of life to himself instead of God, he forfeits these things. And in its place, what does he gain? Confusion. He now has directed his steps in a path of confusion that will lead, affect every area of his life. I love this verse, and uh, uh, as that confusion leads to all kinds of problems in life. This verse is kind of interesting. In Isaiah chapter 45, verse 16, this is what we read. They shall be ashamed and also confounded, uh, all of them. They shall go to confusion together that are makers of idols. And you say, well, Pastor Henry, I haven't taken up a piece of wood. I haven't taken up stone and made an idol in my life. I understand that. But can I tell you right now, if you, if you have leaned into your own understanding, if you have decided to answer all the questions in your life, you know what you've just done? You've made yourself an idol. 
you've made yourself into a little g-god, and you said, okay, I, I don't need wisdom from God in heaven, the creator, the author of all. I, I, don't, need, I don't need direction and guidance and assistance and counsel from the, the author of peace, the author of the perfect way, or the author of the prosperous outcome. No, I'll lean to my own understanding. My friend, when you do that, you've set yourself up as an idol in place of God. And what have you found it to be? It is a life of confusion. You start confusing things. You start uh, going down a path that is confounded, as the passage says here. Notice how it shows up in his life. Look with me at verse 18, will you? Verse number 18, and he said, this will I do. Okay, he's made up his mind. He's, he's listened to his own counsel. This will I do. I will put down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits in my goods. Number one, can we just put it this way? What did, what did this confusion lead to? He confused his bank book with his Bible. He confused his bank book with his Bible. The proposed action sounds good, doesn't it? I'm going to tear down these barns. I'm going to build new ones. And it would make him a great success. He, his bank account would be doing well. It would guarantee him a life of leisure for years to come. He would be set financially, no doubt. He would have nothing to worry about. But there's a huge alarming statement in this verse. Did you catch it? Notice the emphasis as I put it on the, the slide here. There, and he's speaking of his barns, right? So in earthly barns, it, in that sense, it represents a temporal place of storing, saving, depositing as well. He says, listen, I'm going to put it there. And what is he going to put there? All of his fruits and goods. He's going to put it all there, bestow all those fruits and goods, soul focus, soul, one, one singular place. He's putting everything. You ask the godless human if that sounds good. And he said, oh, yeah, that sounds like a great plan. That sounds like a, a good way to answer this. But what is man? Let's remember, he's the author of confusion, destruction, sorrow, and regret. But God is the author of peace, the perfect way, and the prosperous outcome. He says something different. God gives us some different principles, different answers to life. And if this man has said, okay, I'm going to stop and I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God, God, you've certainly blessed me. I'm in a position where I have an abundance of things. And so, God, what would you have me to do? What would be the best way to handle the problem where I have too much crops coming in and I don't have places to store it? God, what would you have me to do? And asking the author of peace and my friend, Aren't you thankful for the promise of scriptures that when you and I call unto him, he will answer us? He's ready to give the answer. He's, he, he has all the answers, okay? Uh, he, he has every answer to every question that you could ever ask. You ever thought in your life, well, I've never, I don't know anybody who's faced this decision. I don't know anybody who's gone through this situation. I, I don't know of anybody who, who would know what to do in this situation. Can I tell you, my friend, you have a God in heaven that has the answers. And better yet, he answers his phone 24-7. There's no voicemail. Or even worse, this person has a voicemail that is not yet set up. Some of you are like that, but we won't get into that. Hey, can I tell you that God's not like that? You call. He'll give you the answers. Oh, this man didn't do that, though. You see, even though God has already given principles within the Bible, man was operating according to his own bank book. He was kind of thinking humanly and earthly, and in that, he kind of ignored the Bible, yet God has given us those principles for what we ought to do with our wealth. 
our abundance of things. You know the verse well, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. Prioritization, a value system. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. The, the rest God will take care of. He, he will abundantly provide and meet your needs. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. Earlier in the same passage in Matthew chapter 6 and verses 19 and 20, we see Christ making it very clear. You can't get any clearer than this. He says, lay, out, lay, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt where thieves break through and steal, where the, uh, where the markets fall apart. And we could just add a lot to that, couldn't we? Where inflation skyrockets. And No, he says, don't lay up treasures for yourself in earth, but lay up, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. We often think, well, Pastor Henry, I'm not that wealthy. I don't have much. Well, I, I would beg to differ as Americans. I think we have an abundance of substance. I think that's why this pertains to you and I greatly. But I would also say this. Don't get caught up in the idea that just you have a treasure only that is monetary. Some of you, all of us, have the treasure of time. The treasure of time. How you spend it. How you live it. All of us have a treasure of talents that God has bestowed on each one of us. He's given us gifts. The, the New Testament is clear about that. Each one of us have gifts to be used in labor to our Lord. Those are treasures that we have. And you and I ought to lay those things up in heaven. We ought to use them in such a way that they're laying up treasures there. And yet this man chose to be governed and directed by his bank book. He, he laid up treasures here. In fact, his sole focus was here. And, and certainly, as he was guided more by the bank book than the Bible, the Bible God describes him as a fool. He was confused. We'll talk more about it in just a moment. But I would ask this question. Do you share in his confusion today? Maybe you put it this way. Do, does your bank book have more impact on the decisions of your life than the Bible? Do the financial aspects of things determine things? Does, is it all about gaining something and earning something? And does that determine or have a greater impact on the decisions and the decisions you make than the Bible does? Are you bestowing all your fruits and goods here on earth instead of in heaven? And if you are, my friend, that's a confused life. We'll see it play out. Look with me, if you will, verse number 19. Same chapter, chapter 12 and verse number 19. Notice what he says. And I will say to my soul, soul, Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Okay? So first of all, he's asking questions to himself instead of the author of God, the author of peace. Okay? Secondly, uh, in that he's confusing his bank book with his Bible. Notice what else he's, he's talking to his soul now. Now there's a problem here. Here's reality. He confused his body with his soul. He confused his body with his soul. What do I mean by that? What? Well, it was a terrible mistake made by this rich man, by Daniel, as we call him. He's confused. How is he confused? He thinks he's talking to his everlasting soul, but in reality, he is talking to his temporal body, the body of this life. In other words, he is prioritizing this body in this life over his soul for all of eternity. So the body in this life becomes most important. Prioritization of treating it well and taking care of this body and, and all the creature comforts of this life. That becomes sole purpose and you know, the thing that he's at. Yet the reality is he thinks he's talking to his soul and he really isn't. 
Because my friend, there's a simple truth in reality. Your soul will go on living well past this life. And my friend, as you and I live today and we live in this life, it will help to determine where our soul spends eternity and how it spends eternity. He, his earthly body, would have much good laid up for many years. That's what he says. You're, we're going to lay it up. We're going to eat, drink, and be merry. They're gonna, this is going to be good. But, but that's not really dealing with his soul. Can I share with you a simple principle the Scriptures make clear? It's this. You see, there is no comfort, peace, ease for the soul in material things. There is no ease, comfort. He says ease here. Have much ease and just comfort, luxury, everything. Everything be fine. There'll be peace. There is no ease, no comfort, no peace for the soul in material things. Can I tell you, I've, I've met, I've met millionaires who are the most unhappy people you've ever met. We read stories of famous Hollywood people, of athletes, and, and their lives are wrecked. Their lives of confusion. They, they have material things that more than we could even imagine. And uh, you read of it, and boy, the, in sports, this, this man just reached the billion-dollar mark, and yet his life is falling apart and so forth. Why is that so? Because material things, earthly things, will never bring peace to your soul. So just mark it down. This is a biblical principle that is born out of here. This is a life of confusion. And can I tell you right now, a lot of humans are living this life of confusion. These things will bring, boy, they'll bring, they'll bring rest for my soul. No, they won't. Possessions, wealth, fame, riches are not the author of peace and ease. God is. He alone is. And my friend, can I, it's my privilege to tell you this morning, that God wants to give rest and peace to your soul. We looked at this verse, I can't remember, a week ago or whatever the case may be. The sermons run together as I preach them sometimes. But we looked at Hebrews chapter, or Matthew, excuse me, chapter 11, verse 29. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest, rest unto your soul. See, God alone offers that. This rich man, Daniel, as we've called him, was so confused. He was foolish in thinking that the temporary material things of this earth offered here can give rest to one's eternal soul. Temporal things will never give peace to eternal things. That's what he thought. Don't make that mistake. Don't live for the creature comforts of this world. They'll do nothing for your soul for all of eternity. This life is even but a vapor, and God's word is clearly confirmed by reality. Here, what do we know? Because it, it, it's bored out in this thing here. He loads up these barns with his goods. He thinks he's set for life, and God says, you are a fool because all those barns, once you die, are going to be left behind. You know, he talked about it, and I jokingly say, or truthfully say, you know, you've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Right, because you can't take it with you, and it's a biblical principle. And you, you know what's funny I, I, or amazing in Psalm forty nine, the psalmist realizes this, and God speaks to the psalmist and says this. Notice it: Be not thou afraid, or don't even be envious. Don't be looking at admir, admiration for the rich when one is made rich. Notice the description. He goes on: When the glory of his house is increased, for when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away you know what nothing means in the hebrew it means nothing 
He does. Zilch, nada, nothing. You ain't taking anything with you. I always find it as I've done different funerals, and I'm not trying to be morbid in things, but I'm always amazed how some people will stick things in, in the casket for the people. I, I've been to one where somebody stuck a drink into the casket with them. I'm like, I don't think that, okay, anyway. Why? Why? Because you can't take anything with you. They ain't taking that into the next life. Your soul goes into the next life. So don't be confused. Because you and I can live on this earth and we can live to make it ease and comfortable on this body and this life here. But it is a vapor. It will not last. It is not worth living for this. It is worth living for them. For eternity. Where my soul will spend it. He was very, very confused. We would do well this morning to look inward and ensure that we haven't prioritized this body, this life, over our soul in preparation for our soul in eternity. It begs the question, are you and I seeking goods for our body more so than goods for our soul for eternity? Don't live the confused life. See, one day it's all going to be made clear and there will be many a sad, confused Daniel that stands, rich person, or someone who lives a confused life that stands before God and it will all be clear. Look with me, verse 19 and 20, if you will. Add one more truth here. And I will say to my soul, we read this, soul thou hast said, thou hast much goods laid out for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now I encourage you to focus on that term in there, many years, the, the statement, many years. Look at verse 20. But God said unto him, here's God's estimation as we've talked about, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, and then he makes the principle, you ain't taking it with you. Then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? Okay? So we've seen he confused his bank book uh, with his Bible. He's confused his body with his soul. Number three, he's confused his earthly time with his eternity. He's confused his earthly time with eternity. You know what he's thinking? Now, I, I, I love this truth of this. He's thinking to himself, well, I've got many years here. I, and that's what he says. I've got many years here, and I, I'm going to start preparing and planning for that. I'm going to spend my time on earth enjoying the fruit of my labors and, as I prepare for those many years. You know what God says? And I love this truth. God replies to this man, listen, your many years aren't even many hours. It's not. Tonight. And we don't know what time of day this is. It's a parable. It's a story. But God said, your many years isn't even many hours. Tonight, your soul will be required. You will be judged tonight. It will be required of thee. See, the years on this earth that you have planned will come to naught if God allows. And that's true for all of us. He was so foolish, Daniel, this, wise, or this rich man. He expended energy preparing for an earthly time. Uh, that he would not have. He spent, he spent the majority of his time on this earth preparing and living for earthly time that no man is guaranteed of. We, we know the principles well. Proverbs 27.1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what the day may bring. Um, James chapter 4, the New Testament, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. You have no idea. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. In his foolishness and confusion, Daniel, this rich man, he lived, he worked for his earthly time, but length of days is not guaranteed to anyone. However, 
you are guaranteed to spend eternity somewhere. Your soul will spend time somewhere. See, he confused his earthly time with eternity. You will forever be somewhere. It's foolish to work so hard to provide for a time that is so fragile, so uncertain, not guaranteed, when by looking to God, you and I can know how best to prepare for an eternity for my soul that will last forever. That's why it's necessary for you and I to say, okay, here's the questions of life. Let me ask God. I, I, I'm not going to lean into my own understanding because well, I, I'm not the author of peace and a prosperous way. I'm not the author of, uh, of the perfect way. No, God is the author of those things. I personally, Stephen Henry, is the author of confusion. If I lean into my own understanding, but boy, if I acknowledge him in all my ways and all my decisions and all the questions of life, if I will acknowledge God, can I tell you, God knows how best to prepare for eternity. He knows what it, what's the best way to live now so that my soul can have ease and comfort in eternity. And obviously that starts, number one and first and foremost, with putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Understanding that I am in great need of a Savior. And Jesus Christ died on that cross to pay the penalty for my sins so that I could gain heaven and lose hell. Starts with that, and then it starts with the reality is... Um, what was sung about even today, the reality that we'll see him face to face. You see, my friend, this man stood before God to be judged. And he was found wanting. When the passage says this, this night, thy soul will be required of thee, it, it, the implication is of judgment. Now listen to me. You say, Pastor Andy, why in the world would you pick the name Daniel. The Daniel of the Old Testament was a great guy. He trusted in God, and he, he was a man of faith. Why would you pick Daniel? Here's why I just chose that Hebrew name out of any others. You know what Daniel means? God is my judge. And I tell you right now, every single one of us will stand before God. And we will give an account for what we have done in this life. You know what I don't want? And I don't mean this irreverently. I don't mean this in any way. But I don't want you to stand before God and hear, Thou art a fool. You lived a confused life. You bought into all that on that earth. You weren't living like a pilgrim, like the choir sang about. No, no, no. You, you bought in. You leaned on your own understanding. And so you lived for that place down there. You, you didn't live like a pilgrim. You lived like a citizen. And you were confused in your living. See, God as creator and God as our savior has the right to stand in judgment as to whether or not we are living life foolishly and confused or not. It's his estimation that matters, not others and not our own. Can I encourage you this morning, make sure today you're not living the confused life. Now there's one final part of this passage. I alluded to it before, but it's that double warning. You see, this whole story, this whole parable is a cautionary tale told by our Savior, Jesus Christ. He, he tells the parable, I, Daniel, we don't know what's his name, all the thing I said to him in the introduction, it could be, it could not be, we get that. And that's a parable, right? It's a story. So Christ tells the story about this rich man to teach those heavenly truths we talked about, an earthly story with heavenly truths. But Jesus Christ, before he told the story, told us exactly, listen, you need to beware. You need to take heed. And what was that about? Two important things. Look at verse number 15, if you will, with me. And he said unto them, take heed, beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Okay? Now, 
right away, what do we get confronted with? You're saying, oh, covetousness. We'll get to covetousness in a moment, but there's something even better in this verse that God points out. What is that? Well, this confusion came from an ultimate confusion. In other words, this ultimate confusion, this misthinking, this wrong thinking, breeded a confused life. What is it? Well, it's that simple statement, isn't it? That the abundance of things is what makes life. Life consists of the abundance of the things which he possesses. God says, listen, this, there's a wrong philosophy out there. You know, in modern day, God will say, listen, it's all over the World Wide Web. It's all over Google. It's all over the false prophets and false teachers. There's people in this world that are teaching this, and they're trying to push this like this is, this is the right way to live. And God's saying, beware, take heed. Don't listen to the world and don't listen to those who are saying that life is measured, it's evaluated uh, by the abundance of the things which you possess. May I just put it bluntly? God's not going to care what car you drive, what your house looks like, what's in your garage when it comes to him evaluating whether you're a good Christian. It's not going to matter. That abundance of things does not determine if you lived a good life. In America, we have this, this crazy statement, oh, I'm just living the American dream, oh, I'm just living the good life. Listen to me. Mankind, outside of God, has no clue what the good life is. We know what the good life is? Go to the Bible. Ask God the questions. Not yourself. Otherwise, you get a life full of confusion. See, the world would tell us the amount that is in our bank account makes us something. The abundance of possessions. And this is where the seed is planted. Young people, listen to me. Hey, teenagers, this is where the seed is planted. And this is where you grow into a life of confusion. You, you, you show up, it'll show up in your life like it did tragically in the rich man's life. And this is where it starts. This misconception and, and false thought that, man, the, the measure of my life is found in the abundance of the things I possess. That's funny because it goes directly against Scripture and having fruit and raiment let us be there with content. It's not the measure of your life. It starts with the confusion of how to measure and evaluate a good or bad life, a successful, unsuccessful life, a meaningful or unmeaningful life. Can I encourage you? If you listen to the world or your old sinful nature, you'll get the wrong answer that leads to heartache, sorrow, disappointment, and regret. But you listen to God, my friend, and you will get the answer that leads to abundant life, happiness, contentment, peace. You say, okay, Pastor Henry, as we go in this invitation, how, how in the world do I know if I've kind of bought into some of these wrong principles? If, I've, if I'm a little confused in an area of my life, well, the Scripture gives us at least one symptom here, right? Answering that question, am I living a life of confusion? The Bible says what? See if there's some covetousness. This is how it shows up. You've got to have more than than you have. You're not content with the things that you have. You, uh, your heart yearns. It wishes for more. It, uh, you always have to, oh, man, this would be so much better if this would happen. I, I'd enjoy this so much better if I had that. Boy, if I just had that, and boy, you, you see somebody drive down the, the road, you want that car. You see you drive by somebody's house, you want that house, and you just want things, and you covet it, and I gotta have that. Life would be better if I had. Yeah, the Bible says, now be careful. If that's showing up in your life, that's a pretty good symptom that you are living a confused life. That you've kind of bought into some principles of this world that are not principles of your Lord. 
and Savior, Jesus Christ. Beware. Take heed. It's a sure sign, covetousness is, of living the confused life, coveting what you don't have. Can I just ask you this morning, will you be honest this morning with your own soul and with your God? God, if there be some wicked way in me, Father, if there's an area in which I've been coveting something that I don't have, and Father, it's starting to breed some confusion in my life, would you, would you just reveal it in this invitation? Would you help me to be honest this morning, Father? If there's an area in my life, maybe I confused my bank book with my Bible. Maybe I've confused my, my body with my soul. I've been living more for the body than I have the soul. Or, or God, maybe I've confused my earthly time with my eternity. And I haven't been living in light of eternity. I've been living in light of this earthly time. Father, would you help me? Would you forgive me? And would you save me from living a confused life? Beware. Take heed. Father, I thank you for your word. I'm grateful for this story that Jesus Christ himself gave us. And Lord, what a story it is. It's convicting. It's challenging on many levels. And Father, I'm so very grateful, so very thankful for the teaching that we receive from Christ himself. And now in this moment, Father, I pray that you'd work in every heart. Lord, I, I certainly can't gaze into the hearts of people, but you can. Father, there's some here this morning that are wrestling with covetousness. I, I pray, Father, from young to old, maybe some young people are coveting a, another life, another family, a, more possessions, whatever the case may be. Father, would you convict them of that covetousness? Would you help them to see that that is the beginning, that's the seed that will grow into a life of confusion? Father, would you reveal that? Would you expose it? And then would you guide and direct them and draw them to repentance? Father, I pray for each one of us that, Lord, if we're having confusion in some area of our life, and we're confusing that bank book with the Bible, we're confusing our, our body and our soul, we're confusing our earthly time with eternity, would you show that, would you reveal it in this invitation? Father, trust you already have revealed it to some. I pray in this invitation that they would make it right. They would confess confusion in their life and where it comes from. Father, I, I would venture a guess that there's some today who have been asking the questions of life to themselves, leaning on their own understanding. Would you convict them of that this morning? Would you reveal that and would they make it right? Would they come back to looking in your Bible and looking to you and asking of you for wisdom that you've promised to give? Father, I pray that we would eradicate any of these areas of confusion in our life so that we might live in such a way that we're looking forward to hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Father, if we're living like a fool right now, I pray you to reveal it. Make that obvious, make that clear. Even in this invitation, may we take care of it.